This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. This week, we have a special episode with our president and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer. For the next several weeks, he'll be interviewing top CFOs in healthcare to get their views on their role in their organizations and the industry. Today, you'll hear his interview with HFMA's current chair, Mike Allen, the CFO at OSF Healthcare in Peoria, Illinois. Mike's theme as HFMA's chair is Dare You to Move, and he talks about what he's daring to do in his organization and how he sees himself and his role evolving. Today's guest is uh, actually somebody who needs no real introduction to HFMA members. Mike Allen, who is the CFO of OSF Healthcare in Peoria, Illinois, is joining us today. OSF Healthcare is a Catholic healthcare system. It's owned by the Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis. And as a person who grew up as a Catholic and went to Catholic school, I know that St. Francis I always understood he stood for uh, love for animals, but if you dig a little deeper, he also stood for the generosity to the poor and caring for people that suffer. And so OSF is a healthcare organization that has built on that legacy and uh, located again, like I said, in Peoria, Illinois, a great organization. Mike is also our board chair in this current fiscal year, and therefore he's my boss. So I'm going to be really nice to Mike today, And but Mike, we're glad to have you. Thank you, Joe. It's an honor to be a guest on uh, the latest edition. So, Mike, you know, just for our listeners' sake, you know, the tradition of our board chairs that they select the theme for the year and that enables them to carry a message to our members and to the industry. Tell us a little bit about your theme this year. Well, in case our listeners have not seen it, and I hope they have, but if not, the theme is Dare You to Move. It's about making yourself uncomfortable. It's about putting yourself in a bigger arena, into a bigger game and about finding the growth and the progress that comes from that. It's, it's a little bit about stressing the system, and that's the part about making yourself uncomfortable. And, and it's really a call to action. So we do a lot of talking. We do that in a lot of meetings. We all have meetings in our day-to-day -day work. We have a lot of plans, and those are all good, but this is a call to action. Let's actually make something happen. Let's take a risk or two and, and move us all forward in whatever we do, and whether that's our personal life, a professional life or as a volunteer or a volunteer leader somewhere. It's awesome. And I got to tell folks, Mike is a man of his own words because he, uh, both at our leadership training conference last year and then at our annual conference, he busted out his guitar on stage and sang a song that he wrote. And so that was, that was pretty awesome, Mike. I appreciate that. And uh, no matter how it came off, um, I was mostly uncomfortable and really, really uncomfortable in both of those settings. In the second setting at annual conference, there must have been, you know, maybe 1,500 people in the room. And at least um, I'll probably never, ever uh, have uh, an audience that large again. So it is not one thing that I, it's not something I do without uh, some nervousness. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no doubt. So how, tell us how your year's going. Any surprises during the year? Any great chapter stories you want to tell us about? 
I'm having a great year. Uh, I'm really having a blast. Um, you know, whether it's been the support of the team and the staff from HFMA or the support from all of the chapters, I uh, you know I just couldn't feel more welcome or have a more receptive audience for the the message. And you know, my message obviously gets um, framed around dare you to move, but it's really the message of HFMA and how we serve you know and want to continue to serve uh, our industry and our organizations and all of us as individuals. So uh, it's exceeded my um, expectations really in terms of that. I don't know if I've had you know had a lot of great uh, moments so far and a lot more to come. Um, probably so far the the moment that stands out is. Back on the guitar thing, I uh, was asked when I got to the Virginia chapter, Virginia DC chapter, they said, hey, can you come play some music for us during our party? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, the first song I ever wrote was a song set in Virginia. Um, that's where my father's relatives were from, my my, my parents, uh, or my relatives on my dad's side, I mean, but that's where they're from. And the opening line is uh, in the song is out in Virginia. And so I got to play that song in um, in Virginia for the first time ever. And I uh, had a couple of gentlemen come up to me afterwards and said they had to, got kind of uh, teary-eyed about it when they heard the song. So I thought that was a cool moment. That's, that is, uh, you know, this the year, I can attest to it, the year is full of special moments. But boy, it's going to be hard to top that one. That's That's awesome. We wanted to interview you, Mike, uh, or I wanted to interview you, Mike. We're doing a series on CFOs and the changing role of the CFO, and it builds on articles in the HFM a month or so ago. So I want to jump back into the reality of your day job rather than your job as a HFMA chair. What extent do you think your role as a CFO has changed in recent years, Uh, whether it's different functions reporting to you or uh, just other ways that your job has changed? Really, if I watch my. my career trajectory, it, it sort of has informed how my job has changed. Um, so I'll talk about that first and then maybe um, actually then, I, you know, sort of reframe that around what's going on around us. But, you know, as you know, I've been in large, exceedingly larger organizations and those organizations keep getting bigger uh, because of mergers and acquisitions and things like that. The work has actually become a little narrower for me. I used to have a smaller health system when I was a CFO. I had a lot more different types of responsibilities in the different functional areas, all the way from operations to, you know, core finance. It's a lot narrower than that, a lot a lot more focused on finance, but it's a lot deeper than that as well. And I think the world has gotten a lot more specialized. That's been my path lately, but I think that's going to go back out again. I think it's going to expand out the other direction, kind of where it started, I think, as I look forward. And I think some of the challenges... Um, uh, really around that are, again, the, the, the deeper specialties, the deeper uh, knowledge needed in particular areas and needing people that are really experts in that. Um, and my job's been more about being the um, quarterback. And I feel like I'm the CEO of our finance team here. I have to function like the CEO of an organization, really, and make sure all of our experts and all of those responsible for the areas um, have everything they need uh, from resources to ideas to the drive to get things done, to make it all work together. So I, I feel like that's a lot about what my job is right now, um, a lot less um, you know, technical than it ever has been, really, and a lot more reliance on experts. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, If you ask the general public, they might answer or think that a CFO's job is purely technical in nature, as you allude to, yet you know, I know, and you know, your job is full of people and relationship issues, and and you just talked about that. How how has your role begun to incorporate more of a soft skill focus, whether it's culture management, change management? Oh, absolutely, it's all of those things, and it's really 
about navigating a, a set of complex problems and, and challenges uh, and figuring out how to get those issues or challenges accomplished or, or, or fixed in some cases or opportunities captured. And not everyone in the organization or within finance even sees it the same way. And there's differing opinions and different, differing points of view. And so it is a lot about the EQ as well as the IQ, right? And so it's a lot about how are you managing the relationships around you? Um, how are you bringing the right people to the table? I know in HFMA, we talk a lot about being a convener. And that's really the same role I have in the health system because everything touches finance. Uh, we become a logical convener of a lot of conversations. Sometimes those happen on their own. Sometimes they do not. And when they do not, being a convener is a key, one of the key roles that I play. And then figuring out, again, how do we accomplish things through all these complexities and through all the complex points of view um, throughout the organization? So it definitely has a strong EQ side to it, soft skill side to it. Um, and, and intuition, I think, is a, is a really big part of it that maybe people don't think about. And sometimes, you know, back to that point you said earlier, Joe, with, you know, the changing role, sometimes I feel like I don't know anything. And yet I think I know, you know, a lot about a lot of different things. So it, it's, um, it's constantly challenging and a, a little bit of a jack of all trades or a little bit of a Swiss army knife nowadays in, in the modern CFO role. No doubt. You know, I used to say, I used to laugh that, uh, you know, you'd come across an issue, a, a people issue like that, or a culture issue. And, and I would laugh, say, oh, boy, none of this stuff was on the CPA exam. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. None, none of that was even, no, hadn't even thought about those things, right. right? It speaks to lifelong learning, doesn't it? So speaking of change management, I know that you're really good at taking a fresh look at the finance function or just a fresh look at anything. It's what makes you just a great leader for HFMA, but also at OSF. And specifically, I know one big change you've made this year that I think our listeners would be interested in would be in terms of budgets. I'd like you to talk about that or maybe some of the things you're thinking about in the revenue cycle processes. But those are big change issues. Can you talk a little bit about your attitude toward those at OSF? Sure. No, no, no question about it. And as you know, the listeners might, you know, sort of pick up on and the dare you to move theme, um, standing still is not a very good option for me. I'm just not really wired that way. And while um, I don't think that I like change just for change's sake, I just uh, read the world around us as moving pretty quickly and feeling like we we need to move at a pace that's similar to the world around us. So uh, there's no question that I think it's a necessary sort of mindset in this this year. So if you go to the couple of things you mentioned, one in particular, the budgeting side, we eliminated our annual budgeting process. And we're not doing it uh, sort of uh, belt and, and uh, suspenders where we eliminated the old and, and moved into the new. And we replaced it with a combination of forecasting as well as more extensive performance management. We call all of that dynamic planning. So it's not, a re it's not so much a replacement of the budget process because we're not doing the budget process. That means we're not taking it down to a detailed level. We felt like the time and the energy that we put into the budget process didn't yield us enough results to continue to put that time and energy into it. So we work with uh, software partners and others to help us rethink how to do this. Some other health systems are doing it. I don't think a lot of health systems are doing it yet, but other health systems are starting to, to tinker with the idea and implement it. And I see a lot of parallel work where they're leaving the budgeting process and doing some of this forecasting work or other dynamic planning work on side by side. Uh, we, we piloted and we went directly into it. 
Um, and But the lesson learned around it really is if you think it's the right thing to do, and we did, and then we're happy with the results so far. But if you think it's the right thing to do, you have to break the old model to go to the new model. And that's one of the themes I talk about in Dare You to Move as well, that if you leave the old one in place, then we tend to revert to it. And our budget process, it was, you know, we take risks to do it. We had to convince the organization it was the right thing to do. We had to be able to execute on it. And it's early yet, but so far we think it's driving a a far better dialogue about how we improve the performance of the organization than the old budget process ever did. And my guess is that that dialogue is really the, the heart of the benefit of what you're doing. Absolutely. And actually, the odd thing about it, to be completely um, open and transparent, is I didn't necessarily go into it for that reason. We went into it more about from the point of view that the old system didn't produce the right kind of results we wanted, and it felt like the uh, time spent on it was wasted time. So that drove us to make the change, but when we actually put it all in place, it was the changing of the dialogue and, and the focus more on what's the management plan for closing the gap to the target and what's the management plan for better performance. And as much as we like to think that was built into the budget process, the budget process, because it became so routine familiar, it was about filling out boxes, putting numbers in boxes and making sure all the steps got taken care of and less about the, the rich content. And so we had a lot more rich content, a lot more rich dialogue out of this new process than we did the old. You know, there's a couple of things that pop into my head. It reminds me of an old, now I think it's funny at the time, <laughs> I got some grief for it, but you're addressing, in this approach, you're addressing one of the fallacies of the budget and that is as soon as you're done with it, it's outdated. In fact, there was one time when I took a budget to the board uh, in one of my organizations, and this was early in my career, but uh, I was trying to convey that message that uh, as soon as you get the budget done, it becomes outdated. And in fact, I think that's that's probably some of the words that I used. And rather than intending to say we're living in a dynamic world, it conveyed to the board that uh, I wasn't very proud of the budget. So it wasn't one of my stellar moments, and, and I needed to learn <laughs> how to use different words. But uh, what you're doing addresses a lot of that. It addresses the dynamic nature of your health system and the communication among the executive team that's necessary. Absolutely. I give you a lot of credit. We, we tried to pull that off in one of my organizations, and I couldn't get there. Yeah, you have to have support from the top, because if, if it's not supported there, you, you can't get it done. And, it, and it's about timing, right? People have to be ready for it. And maybe we're in a different era now. And you know, one of the questions I get out of that is, you know, you have a new target every quarter because your forecast changes. And I said, no, we still have our annual targets, but they're just done at a high level. The forecast informs us as to whether we're making progress to the targets or we're not making progress to the targets. And then we, the goal is to, is to make quicker changes to get to those targets. Well, the other thing that I'm hearing in this description of this uh, is how your role has changed in terms of strategy. And I hear this all the time about CFOs is, your role has gotten more strategic and focused on you know, driving long-term organizational value as opposed to the traditional finance roles. Can you talk a little bit about that? What challenges? One, do you see it the same way? And then what challenges do you see in that shift of focus? Right. Absolutely. And I think I telegraphed that a little bit earlier in our conversation where I said, you know, I feel more like the CEO of the finance division within my health system than I do say a, a, a bean counter. And that's because it is a more strategic look. And when I think about 
numbers and, and progress, I have to think at very large doses for our organization. I can't be thinking about, you know, nickels and dimes. I've got to be thinking to the left side of the decimal point and way to the left side of the decimal point when I'm thinking about what direction do I help with the organization. And and, and it is a very integrated set of functions now, particularly with, say, strategy. So the chief strategy officer and I work together all the time, not only in our planning processes, but in the work all throughout the year. And um, we've, we've really, um, as well as moving off of sort of traditional budgeting, we've also further integrated our financial plan with our strategic plan. And, and it's getting to a place where we're really happy with it. Um, I'm also, you know, because of the the era we're in right now in healthcare, um, you know, the mergers and acquisitions is almost a constant part of our day now. And that'll probably subside at some point, but I think we're in this peak time where, where a lot of things are shifting and happening. And so we're spending a lot of time in this merger and acquisition talk. And I'm not talking just about the due diligence, like we've decided to do this and then we go through the due diligence. That becomes a little more routine. It's more about that decision on the front end with the CEO and, this, and the chief strategy officer and other key decision makers about, is this the right merger to have? Is this the right acquisition to, to make? Is How does it fit in? And how does that fit with an inpatient strategy or a strategy that should be moving away from inpatient because you know ambulatory and disruptive forces are out there and we should be investing in different ways? So the, the dialogue that I'm having more frequently is, is that kind of dialogue which is at the strategy level. You talk about mergers and acquisitions and, and perhaps someday that will subside. I liken it to, I used to say that sports salaries uh, increases were someday going to subside. And, and that was probably 15 years ago. And I, that was not right. And so I don't know if this is, if that environment, the merger acquisition uh, affiliation and different business model, I'm not sure that's going to subside in our in our careers anyway. So I think you're well suited for <laughs> what you're doing. Uh, you know, that's a good point. I, I agree. It feels like for whatever reason, just in the last year and a half to two years, it has gotten to a fever pitch at a level I haven't seen before, but will it go away? Probably not anytime soon that I would completely agree with that. You talk a little bit about your thoughts of what's coming in, in uh, revenue cycle. I know you have a unique take on the role of artificial intelligence or RPA or machine learning. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a unique take anymore. I mean, at one point, I think I was early on uh, one who believed and could see that the level of automation that was going to come to any of our routine functions um, was going to happen and need to happen in healthcare. And then obviously one of the places we could see that in the most um, distinct way is in revenue cycle. I think that's becoming more and more mainstream thinking, but more accepted that that, that is the way that's going to happen Um so yeah, I absolutely believe robotic process automation, other automation, machine learning is all going to be part of the future of revenue cycle. We've done historically and still do a lot of tasks sort of individually, sort of in a craft style, meaning kind of one station at a time, one computer station at a time. And, and if you think about the information flow through revenue cycle, it's, it's all digital. And there are some complexities to it with uh, third-party payers and all of that, but but we're really moving information and, and we're handling the information sort of one bit of information at a time rather than looking at it as, 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 a, as a large data set. Um, and how do we not only move the information in large, large ways um, through automation, but how do we also use that data to inform us how to do our work better in, in a far more sophisticated way than we ever have before? Um, I think if one 
believes this isn't going to happen in some sort of really big transformational way, I, I think I would think that they may be having you know, a bit of denial about what the future is going to look like. Because I think the future of revenue cycle three to five years from now is going to look completely different and it's going to have a different set of skills and a different set of uh, work than it, than it has today. The last thing I'll say about that is those who see this automation happening in other places, you know, does it displace jobs? Yes, um, but it also creates other jobs. So I think there's hope in all of that. And I think there is a future in, in all of that, but it's going to look different than it looks today. If there are people that, that don't buy into this direction and strategy, I, it won't be long. They'll be obsolete. Let's call it spade a spade. And so, yes, I think you're right. It's coming. It's becoming more commonplace, but you were, just to give you credit, you were leading the charge on this conversation in, in many circles. So uh, hats off to you. This was really cool. When we had our board meeting in, at your place in August, we toured your innovation center. Can you just talk a little about your innovation, innovation function and that innovation center? Um, it, was, it was nothing short of awesome. Thank you. And it was, uh, it was great hosting the entire board and HFMA e-team for the three days and chance to show off Peoria a little bit, know us off a little bit, but we had a great retreat as well as we planned for the future of HFMA. Yeah, we did spend the day in the um, innovation center. We call it, it's the Jump Training Center. That's the name of our innovation center. And innovation at OSF isn't just a place. And we it's got to be beyond a place. But we do have a physical location to help incubate and accelerate some of that innovation. And so it is, a, you know, at this point, there's four stories in that building. And if I kind of walk through it like a department store, um, we have a simulation center. It's a really um, high-end simulation center for hospital rooms, for a clinic space, uh, for other kinds of uh, ambulance space, ambulance bay, um, other kinds of ways to simulate the kinds of care that we give. And then we also do simulations, and we went through one as part of our board retreat to simulate um, other things that we might encounter in our workday that may not be clinical in nature. And so we had a chance to do that as well. And all of those capabilities are, are in our simulation center. And we also have incubation areas where we have people building businesses and building new products and services. We have partnerships, uh, a partner specific partnership with the University of Illinois, where we bring engineering students and medical students together to help invent and create new things to better healthcare. Um, we also have a venture capital arm that is uh, now has $150 million of funds uh, potentially in, in play. And over a number of years, investing in new um, products, new services, and disruptions that are going to happen within our health ecosystem. So we have that in place. Our performance improvement team is there as well, and our analytics team is there as well. And then uh, finally, our virtual care group all sits in that area. And there's more that goes on in that innovation center. What we're trying to really build is a platform of innovation for the entire organization. And I'll touch on analytics real quick. That was one of the first things that they did as before I got here, that when they brought the innovation center together was to, to, to put analytics for the organization in one place. Since so we have all of our data scientists and all of our analytic experts, 60 of them approximately for OSF in one place, one source of truth. And mostly we adhere to that. And um, it was meant, it was thought to be the foundation of all that we couldn't go the rest of the way with innovation if we couldn't get our arms around the information that we had. So that was how we built it. And then um, 
you know, there's more to talk about. I'd be glad to talk more about it. Seems like I've gone on a little bit about that innovation center, but it is, um, we absolutely believe it is table stakes for the future um, and for the survival of our health system. You know, and it was pretty clear when we were there that it is, and you said this, it's more than just a building. It conveys an attitude and a culture throughout the organization. And that's probably where, you know, the biggest bang for the buck comes from is you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people thinking about new and different ways and better ways to do things. To your point, it's not just a four-story building. Even though that was cool, the simulation, I think the environment that that I was in was selling, trying to sell something to a business partner. And uh, it's nothing like seeing yourself recorded. And I got to tell you, our salespeople have nothing to be worried about. I am not a salesman. And we demonstrated that in the, in the simulation. Yeah, no doubt about it. If you want to do a simulation, you have to, you have to um, be vulnerable. You have to be willing to see yourself on stage, so to speak. And it's no different than me playing the guitar in front of people. It's, it's uh, frightening at first, but it's a good experience for um, future things that we encounter in our lives. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, hey, what do you think the CFO role is going to be look like in five or 10 years? You've talked about a lot of things that are on the short-term horizon, but how do you see this looking in 10 years? To be completely honest, I don't know that I could paint a 10-year picture for the CFO. It just feels like um, there's so much unknown. I can take the approach and think, oh, gosh, there's always going to be the need for a CFO and um, it's always going to be a need for somebody to do the kinds of things that I do. But I, I don't think that's probably true 10 years from now. I mean, there'll still be a CFO, I imagine. Um, but I think you're now heavily into a lot of automation of all parts of finance. And it probably is getting done with far fewer people. And then I think that leaves the door open for um, more and more sort of um, horizontal work across the organization, sort of to your earlier point, Joe, when you were asking me about, you know, the evolution of the CFO. I think that's really going to change. And how that changes, I'm not sure if I completely, I'm not sure if I can completely get my head around all that. And I guess I'm a little bit concerned about how we continue to develop and get stronger in our analytical problem solving skills, relationship skills in the future where more and more things get automated for us. It is a little overwhelming to think about 10 years from now and, and uh, you know, whether Moore's law continues to in, you know, and exactly it was in, as it was envisioned or just representative of the pace of change, but it's a, it is hard to project 10 years. Um, it, it's a, it's an amazing thing. It does speak to talks to, finance people of all types of really having a broad operational view and un- deep understanding across many disciplines in their organization. I think that's absolutely going to be necessary. Whether it goes with the title of CFO or not, I think that's going to be required in, in the now, but also much more in the future. Last question. If you could say one thing to our members or the industry at large, what would you do to either improve the industry performance or change the negative rhetoric? Um, that seems to follow healthcare. What, what, if you could say one thing, to, what would it be? I think you're setting me up for this one, Joe. There's, uh, <laughs> there's nowhere I could go with this answer. And we have not rehearsed this at all because right. we just sat down for this discussion. <laughs> no, but, we haven't. Um, I could go nowhere with that, with that question other than dare you to move. And that is about um, getting out of our comfort zone, embracing the change that's coming and that's already upon us. Um, Getting out of uh, your practice area, uh, meaning um, practicing like I did with my guitar and I wasn't getting better, that I had to go out and get on stage. So get on stage, 
get in the arena, get in the fight, um, get yourself bloodied a little bit, make a few mistakes, but but uh, continue to push forward and grow and make something change in your organization, make something change in within your sphere of influence and make a difference uh, with whatever you're doing. So that's my um, pl- plan for the future, what I would like to see our members doing going forward. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I think uh, for those reasons, I know you're a great leader, leader at OSF, but you, you, I couldn't find, I couldn't pick anybody to be a better leader at HFMA in the current period that we're in of, of uh, transition uh, ourselves. And so I, I did know that was going to be your answer. And, it, and you're right, it was not talked about ahead of time, but very consistent with your leadership within HFMA. And we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike, for taking time to share. I hope everybody can see a little bit more into our board chair and uh, what makes him tick. And I really appreciate your willingness to share that with folks. Thank you, Joe. And thanks for having me today. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Finally, we always welcome your feedback and invite you to reach out to us with your questions and comments at podcast at hfma.org.